Well, good morning. Let me say what a joy it is to be back here at Baylor. Uh, our roots as family go deep here in Baylor. We lived here in Waco. Uh, my wife actually taught at Baylor for a number of years in the Spanish department and ran the, the language lab. And my oldest son is a Baylor grad. So it's good to be back. And just to let you know, one of your grads has moved on and uh, he was an anthropology major. And just as of this semester, started teaching at Temple University where he's on the faculty of Temple as an anthropology. It's a kind of a strange field. It's anthropology of law. And so he's in the law school as well in the anthropology school. And, and what he does for those of us of faith is he, he works between governments and indigenous people, bridging when indigenous culture bumps into national law and helping the law know how to address the indigenous cultures, uh, particularly in China, as he's a, a Mandarin speaking. So I bring you greetings from not only the BGAV, also from the Ascent group that's gathered here, but also from our family. It's good to be back home, Sikkim Bears. It's good to be back here and to be with you and just to walk the campus. It's been a number of years since I was here and to see how it has changed and transformed. Wow, what an experience. Just yesterday was like walking through memory lane and coming back. So thank you for the invitation, Dean Steele, for the opportunity to come here and share God's word and come home in a way. So I really, really do appreciate that. And we're here for worship. and. I want to share something with you that comes from the deepest places of my own heart and soul. I don't normally do this kind of message, but I'm going to, I feel compelled to do this mainly for the conversation that you're hosting here with us, but also it comes out of a deep personal conviction for me because I believe that we, we live in a time when matters of faith are becoming more and more unreal to people. They, they just don't get it. They aren't quite sure they can trust it. And there's consequences that come with that. They're unsure now of what really the ultimate goal of things are. They're insecure in their search for meaningful patterns. They don't know what to anticipate or what to inspect in life. And they're unconvinced of any divine intervention and they're unconvinced of any divine origin in anything. And that's going to lead us in the West into a major crisis of meaning. And at the core of it all, there's going to be a strong sense of loss of hope. I think we're already seeing that. I think we're going to see much more of that and days ahead. Would you agree with me? I think this is the challenge that we in the church have right now. They don't know who to turn to the larger world. They, they aren't sure. Some of the young folk I talked to had hopes that maybe government can make this world the place that it ought to be for everyone and address all that that causes brokenness and destruction in life. But their confidence in government is waiting quickly. They thought perhaps... And it's waiting because governments, in the end, have their own self-interest at stake. They can only do but so much. They may make a positive attempt, but in the end, their self-interest will limit what they'll contribute. You'll also have 
Corporations, maybe they can make a difference in the world. Many of them have benevolent enterprises. Maybe that will change the world. But in the end, they have stockholders they have to please, and their contribution will be limited. And with a waning trust in the church, where do they go? What's the hope? I hear it expressed in many ways. I hear it globally. I happened to be in China. And I was with a group in China, and we were assigned someone by the government to monitor our, our comings and goings, and who was to sit with me, and all the conversations I had, and any speaking moments I would have, was to be there and gave report of who I talked to, where I went, what I said, what I addressed, was I creating any issues. Uh, they, it was a young lady who was assigned me, and she was in every conversation. It was assumed she would be present, which was fine. I had nothing to hide anyway, so just come on. And while we were riding in the car, I turned to her and I said, well, what is it that you hope? What is it young people hope for in China today? And she looked at me and she just laughed. She said, we don't have any. Our grandparents, they believed in religion. They thought that would change the world and Buddhism and some of them Christianity. But then our parents came along and saw that that had only contributed and, and be honest with you, had just supported the status quo and all the corruption. They gave up on religion and they believed communism would change everything. And our generation has come along and seen that that hasn't changed anything. To be quite honest with you, none of us have any real confidence in anything right now. And I was a government representative. If I'd said that, I'd have been kicked out of the country. Then I got a strange phone call. Would you come to New York City? That's when I was president of the Baptist World Alliance. Would you come to New York City? Uh, we'll put you up at the Waldorf Astoria, and Billy Kim from Korea will be joining you. Would you and your wife come? Because the general, the Secretary General of the United Nations would like to have a conversation with you. You can't meet at the UN. The meeting will be hosted at the Waldorf Astoria. Took a lot of convincing of my wife to go to that meeting. And we went to the Waldorf Astoria, and we were put up in Cole Porter's flat, which is quite cool. Oh, wow, this is Cole, Cor Cole Porter's flat. And actually, Frank Sinatra lived here. Man, we, took, we were taking all kinds of selfies in that place. And Ban Ki-moon comes walking in. He was the secretary general at the same time with his wife. And sat down. I wasn't even sure why we were invited. And he sat down and he said, now, you're probably wondering why you're here. Well, yeah, that's a good, good point. But let me tell you what I did not invite you to do. I, um, with all the tragedies I have to face in the world, I want you to know I do not believe in any form of God. And I do not believe for sure that there is a benevolent God. I cannot in my deepest mind imagine that there could be in the existence of a deep, of a benevolent God who would allow the atrocities that happen in this world to happen. So I did not invite you here to try to convince me to become a Christian. Are you okay with that? Sure. 
I'm fine. What can we do for you? I'm sure you had a reason. He said, well, I will tell you. I wake up every day right now and the tragedies of the world are compounding. And I wake up and I honestly do not know what crisis to address first. And I spin in a circle not knowing which one to address. And I have to feed 340 million people in refugee camps around the world, three meals a day, seven days a week, and my resources are depleting and governments are contributing less and less, and I don't know what to do with all these atrocities. What I need from you is I need prayer because I can't pray. Would you pray over me and would you pray over my wife? We'll be happy to do that. You raise for us a concern on your heart right now and we will pray for you over that. That will be our joy. And with tears in his eyes, he looked at me and he said this, I want to know one thing. I understand that you believe that in the end, God's going to make all things right. Do you really believe that? I said, with all my heart, I believe that in the end, God will make all things right. And he said, that is the most hopeful thing I have heard in a long, long time. Now, folk, I'm telling you that story because at the end of that conversation with him, I saw something. I saw the power of the gospel at that moment. For just a moment, for one who cannot in his mind fathom the existence of a God given all that he's witnessed and all that he's seen in his life. But for just a moment, at the mere thought of a possibility that there might be a God who would make all things right in the world, I watched a door open up to that man's soul. And he had for a moment hope. He had for a moment courage. I watched the power of what this gospel can do, what this gospel does that we've been called to proclaim and give witness to. What it does is it teaches us how to see. And it teaches us how to see more clearly. And it shows us how to see through all the way through things. And it teaches us that there is a God just waiting to speak to us and even to bless. When you know the bigger story, you can participate in a miracle. And people don't know the bigger story. And that is ours to share with the world that is starving for that bigger story right now. What is the bigger story? What is the bigger story that we have? And what I love that just got read to you from Revelation is it comes to us in the language of dreams. 
It's a dream language that we've been giving. And dreams can be odd things, can't they? I mean, they can be bizarre things. You wake up after a dream and you just lay there and go, what in the world was that all about? You see your friends, you see those you don't know in your dreams. You can actually fly in a dream. Figure that one out for yourself. Creatures appear. You're late for something. You're unprepared for something. Have you ever had a bad dream right before a test? That'll freak you out. Is that an omen of something to come? You're in public and you're in your underwear or even worse. What in the world is that all about? People and scenes change and morph into different people and to different scenes. What are we to make of all this stuff? Well, sometimes it's nothing more than just random junk being thrown out by your house cleaning brain. Sometimes it really is just pure craziness and you ought to question your own sanity. It's healthy to do that every now and then, I've discovered. But sometimes it's powerful. It's beautiful. It's meaningful. It's a parade of symbols. It's truth bubbling up in our, from our subconscious and our mind in the form of messages, in the forms of images, in the forms of metaphors and codes. It's truth bubbling up to the surface and it tells us about what's true in our lives. Yes, Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, I believe with all my heart that in the end, God is going to set all things right. And that is the end to which I will work in my life. That is the message that I will bring to everyone I can in this world. Why do I believe this? Because God shared a dream with me that he's asking me to dream with him. And he's sharing a dream with you that he's asking you to share with your world. And that's why he's calling you to the ministry that he's calling you to. And the book of Revelation is just such a dream. It's full of crazy images that appear one after the other. And they're all disjointed and they occur without any sense of logic. And it's a crazy book when you read the book. Creatures, monsters, angels, colors, all kind of numbers. And they're all bubbling up into some kind of code that's confusing to us. And what is meant by all of that well some see that as a prediction and perhaps just a photograph of progression of things that are to come in the days ahead but i see it as visionary it's religious art at its best it's a protest against the way things are wrong in this world and the brokenness of the world and the destructiveness of the world. It's a protest against that while it's at the same time a thunderous cry of hope in God that he's going to recreate everything in his world. And it's all expressed in the language of dreams. And it culminates in Revelations 21 and 22 by the way, the last two books of the Bible. Isn't it kind of nice that the book Bible ends with a dream for us? It comes out of the very longing of God himself. To be honest with you, I think it comes out of a longing of we humans in this world. 
Listen to this dream. If this isn't what this world's hungry for, I don't understand anything. It's a dream of a city coming down from heaven to earth. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about that in just a minute. A city not going up from earth to heaven, but coming down from heaven to earth. Well, that's the wrong direction. What's that one all about? But it's a strange city. It's strange because we're given the dimensions of this city. It's a perfect cube. 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles tall, 1,500 miles long. It's perfectly symmetrical. What's that all about? Well, remember Solomon's temple? There's a place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. Guess what? The Holy of Holies was a perfectly symmetrical cube. Only one priest could go into that place one time of the year and be in the presence of God, but not in this city. In this city, all of God's people will constantly walk always freely in the presence of God. In this city. In a world where so many live in poverty and brokenness and hurt and despair and war. This city's beautiful. And if you've ever been in poverty, the one thing missing in, in impoverished communities is beauty. Not in this place. All the gems are there. It's a city sparkling and dazzling. Not only that, look at the skyline of this city. You know what you won't see? You won't see any sign of religion. There won't be any steeples. There won't be any crosses. There won't be any domes. There won't be any minarets. There'll be no religion in this city. Imagine that, a city without any religion in it. That's kind of crazy. There's kings and leaders in this city. You know what they're doing? They're handing over their wealth. They're handing over their power. It's not needed here. Security is not a concern in this place. Everybody is safe and secure. Don't you wish that for this world? Talk about light, dazzling light. But there's no sun that shines down on this city. No sun at all. What's the source of this light? It comes from the throne itself. The source of this light is love. God's love and it's brilliant and all people live in this light and the city is a garden it's got a river that runs through it that comes out from under the throne and on each side is a tree of life that bears fruit and each month it bears a different kind of fruit that takes you back to the beginning of the Bible where in the beginning of the Bible there was another garden that had a tree of life but we were forbidden from taking from that tree of life but we ate it anyway. I don't know what it is about us. We got to eat the, the centerpiece at the table all the time and God just said leave that alone but we couldn't leave it alone. We had to go eat the thing and so we lost the garden but not in this city. This fruit is for everybody, no hunger here. Everybody will be full. But not only that, this tree of life, 
the leaves are going to be for the healing of the nations. Now that in this dream stretches my imagination. How do leaves heal a nation? Some medicine made from this thing that heals? Is it some kind of reconciling tea that's brewed from these leaves that creates healing of the nations? Is the shade so beautiful that we just forget all our differences and enjoy the wonder of the shade? Is it so beautiful that we just that we have our hearts melted by the beauty of that tree? I don't know. Who cares? If it heals, bring it on. We're for it. And the dream ends. You know, when you actually start believing this, that this is the end to which God is calling us, we change. The power of this dream transforms you and me. When we see life with these lenses, we see our world differently. We long for our world differently. We sit less in judgment of our world and we want to call it to a better self as we are called to a better self. We want to call it to a higher sovereign than what it currently gives itself to. I wish I could hear all the stories of your room, how this could transform in your world. Let me share with you a church that I visited that saw their world differently and it made them different. I was in Ireland and I was at a church in Ireland with the Baptist World Alliance and I've been wanting to go to this church. It was a cool church. I want to go check this church out. So I went to the church and it's a typical story, urban church where everybody moved out of town and moved to the suburbs and this church was trapped in downtown. Its numbers had dwindled down to barely enough to sustain the building. It was an older congregation. It was gonna die out in a matter of a few years. Anybody heard that story lately? It's just rampant everywhere in the world and this church was about ready to crash and burn. And when everyone moved out, guess what came in? Nightclubs and bars and all those kind of things moved or uh, started in a building all around the church. The only problem was in Belfast, the, the housing authorities, when they allowed these groups to come in and buy up all the property, they didn't prepare for the volume of young people that were coming into that area on Friday and Saturday nights. There weren't enough bathrooms. And so all the young people, when they needed to go to the bathroom, they went to the front lawn of that local church. And it became the public restroom for all the bars and nightclubs in the area. And when the church would meet on Sunday mornings, they had to form a committee to go clean the front yard up. How would you like to serve on that committee? How would you like to be the one to have to find somebody to serve on that committee? Well, doing what churches do, they call the deacons together. Got to address this. Deacons got together. They said, well, we know what we need to do. We have the funds to do it. We've got it in reserves. We'll build a wall around the church. We'll take it to the church in business session, which they did. At the business session, the members showed up. The deacons made their proposal, had an architectural design all ready to show to the church showed them how financially they could afford it and it was going to take care of all the problems. They wouldn't have to clean up the front lawn every Sunday morning when they worship. Sound like a good solution. They presented it to the church, almost ready to vote when the oldest member of the church and in the very back raised his hand. His name was Sean, wouldn't you know? 
Sean raised his hand. Sean, you got, say, you got something you want to say? Sure do. What is it? Well, seems to me we don't need no wall. What we need, need are more toilets. Why are we building a wall? Well, Sean, who's going to clean those restrooms at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning? That's when the young people are hanging out. Well, I'm not sleeping well. I'll take a 2 o'clock shift. One of the women spoke up and said, well, Sean, I'm not sleeping well either. I'll take a 3 o'clock shift. And before that meeting was over, they had filled that entire roster of folk willing to clean those, pub, those restrooms when they were built. I went and preached at that church. You know what time the worship service was? Three o'clock in the morning. And there were over 200 young people gathered in that church. Well, they were in a long line getting ready to go to the bathroom, so I chatted with one of them. I said, why are you coming here, not to the bars where you, I'm sure you came often? I said, well, I was in this line going to the bathroom, and some older guy, I think his name was Sean, was talking to a bunch of us, and he came up, and I told him about my mom, who has stage four cancer. And you know, he went and visited my mom. And he looks for me and he prays with me. And I realized I need to be in that place. That's where I want to be. Well, when we start seeing through everything to the end and know the bigger story, it changes what we do and how we do it and the way we see people in this world. And until we do, they're not going to believe us. It's not going to ever be real to them until we do. Now, two things surprised me in this story. One, this city's coming down to earth, not going up to heaven. What's the point of that? Well, God isn't trying to destroy this world. He's not trying to discard it and dismiss it. The one thing he wants to do is recreate it and to remake it. And of all things, to call it the new Jerusalem, is there any city whose name could be associated with this harmony more than Jerusalem? You talk about faith-based hatred. It's the home of that. Machine guns, barricades, wall to keep the Palestinians out. Why call it that city? Because I'm going to remake that city. I'm going to recreate that city, and I want you to join me in doing that. But not only that, folk, it's a city. I don't know about you. I'll take my heaven on rolling hills. I'll take my heaven on beaches and seashores. I'll take my heaven anywhere 
but not in a city. This is urban. This is about people and diversity of people, all of God's children gathered in one family in this city. This is what he dreams from us and wants from us. Now, let me be honest here. We're not supposed to make this city happen. This is God's gift to us. This is a dream beyond our lives and beyond our future, a dream of where people of God are welcomed together in harmony with each other, where gates are open and we walk in the presence of God together, a place where people live freely in the light, where people are safe and secure, no hunger in this place, healing happens this place, even for nations, all are healed, and the light is the very presence of God unhindered for all of us. This is the future God wills for us. And if this is the future God wills, this is what he's doing in the present to bring into existence. Otherwise, why tell us this dream? He tells it so we would long for it, wait for it, pray for it, wish for it. So what's your calling? What's mine? To bring to life what we can of that dream right now. To give this world a glimpse of it, a taste of it, a touch of it. Our world's hungry for this. Too incredible to be true? The world will think so. Anki Moon thought so. <laughs> I had a lady in a church in New Jersey who uh, had to pick her husband up at the airport, but on the way, took their kids to a park and she had a red Volkswagen and they parked in the parking lot. It was full. A lot of mothers wanted to have their kids at the park that day, so she parked over by the ranger station, took her kids for a couple of hours, and it was time to go to the airport to pick her husband up. She went to the car and the whole front end of the car was smashed. And she, park ranger came out and said, I guess this is your car, <laughs> judging by your face. He said, yeah, what happened to my car? So, well, you parked in the space that's not a parking place. Did you see that sign? He said, no. But don't worry, we'll take care of it. Go get an estimate and we'll have your car fixed. Well, what happened to my car? Well, you actually parked it right by the trail where the uh, elephant walks by carrying children. And we bought that elephant from a cir circus where he was trained to sit on red stools. <laughs> and when he saw your car, we couldn't stop him. He just backed right on up and sat on front of your car. But I have to get to the airport and I have to pick up my husband. What am I going to do? Well, you're lucky, lady. The engine's in the back. You can still drive it. Just give us an estimate. So she gets in the car. She gets on the Jersey Parkway. Lee, wherever you are out there, gets on the parkway, and you know what happens in the Jersey Parkway. There's always an accident. And so, sure enough, there's an accident. She's in this long line of cars, and she told me that Sunday morning. She said, John, I did something I don't normally do. I got over on the shoulder, and I passed all those cars. And I got past the accident, and I got on the highway, and I dashed towards the airport to pick Bob up. When I looked in the rearview mirror, and the red lights were blinking, were going. 
I got pulled over. Cop walked up to the car and said, you do know in Jersey it's against the law to leave the scene of an accident. She said, officer, I had absolutely nothing to do with that accident back there. Well, what happened to the front of your car? An elephant sat on it. <laughs> Some things sound too incredible to be true, but they are. It's time to open our gates, folk. It's time to join ourselves to God. It's time for the healing of the nations, the transformation of the cities, the renewing of ourselves, and the renewing of all of God's people. We live in the light. Didn't you know? We're God's dream. Amen and amen.